the House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. It's Tuesday, March 10th, 2020, and this is a special edition of Capital Ideas. Last week, the legislature approved Senate Bill 5395, which makes sexual health education part of the public school curriculum in Washington state. Not surprisingly, the bill generated a lot of opposition. What was surprising was the sheer volume of misinformation about the bill that was propagated by the opposition, a massive campaign that produced thousands of phone calls, emails, letters, and visits to lawmakers' offices. Much of that pushback, it turns out, involved outrage about things that were supposedly in the bill, but weren't. Representative Monica Stonier sponsored the House version of the legislation, and she's with me here today to talk about the bill and the seemingly orchestrated campaign to spread false information about what it contains. Monica has been a public school educator for two decades, represents the 49th Legislative District in Vancouver, USA, and is majority floor leader of the Washington State House of Representatives. Here we go. Hi, Representative Monica Stonier. Uh, we're back to talk again. We just did an interview back in February, but something really important has come up, and let's talk about it. And that is the Comprehensive Sexual Health Education Bill and the controversy, many are saying the manufactured controversy that is surrounding this piece of legislation. Yes, I think the heightened awareness around this bill most recently has come from the content and the nature of the amendments introduced in the House before the debate. Many of the amendments included content that were incredibly um, sensationalized, and that gave the House Republicans room to really elevate the hysteria and the fabricated kind of concern around this. In cases where people have had sincere questions or concern about what would be offered to students, oftentimes we're able to ensure them that parents can still opt their students out. But most cases, what parents are actually concerned about are not actually what's being taught or is mandated to be taught under this bill. So I would say I probably agree with the majority of that message. And just to make clear, the amendments you're talking about were offered by Republicans, not intended to improve this bill whatsoever, but intended basically to, I would say, inflame this situation? Absolutely. Either to delay the process, the functions of government, or to create, um, to inflame debate, to inflame the rhetoric so that it even got to the point where TVW, after getting a sense of what was going to be in the amendments, felt a sense to have an advisory, which is not something that they typically do. Uh, and unfortunately, now the Republicans are saying that because of the content of the debate of the bill, that that's why TVW uh, made that decision at that point in time. But in actuality, again, the, the heightened rhetoric around this is manufactured by the House Republicans in the process. When this bill was debated in the Senate, TVW didn't need to put on an advisory, did they? The Senate debate did not, was not open to amendments, so there was not an advisory triggered. So in other words, the content of the bill itself was not sufficient to trigger an adults-only 
or advisory. Even, or even the debate. I would even say that the rhetoric in the Senate debate around concurrence raised some issues that have come up in the past, but not to the extent that the, we would see in the amendments. Things like whether or not we are teaching little kids, grades K-3, about anal sex, or whether or not certain body parts and vegetables, for example, these are the kinds of amendments that were offensive to me as an educator to think that I would have such poor judgment or that any of my colleagues would have such poor judgment to use that in instruction with little kids is offensive. And I think that educators are going to respond similarly around the state to that lack of judgment. And I would also say that many of my colleagues as elected officials were offended that constituents would even think that they would vote for such a thing. So. These are not even reflective of the realistic policy that is as it exists currently or as that is proposed in the bill. Well, let's talk about that. What is proposed in the bill? Just to get it out on the table, there is so much misinformation about this that it would be good to get a comprehensive explanation of what comprehensive sexual health education legislation contains. What does it do? I could see how the title might contribute to the misinformation because it does say sexual health education K-12. However, health education standards, as they have always existed before this bill and after its passage, talk about healthy friendships, healthy relationships, how to cough into your, into your elbow and cover your cough and wash your hands. As you get older, communicable diseases and STDs become part of that standard. But in the early grades, it's just as I mentioned, the health standards do run across the curriculum. So I can see how the title might be helping, making it harder for us to really clarify what's taught. What I can tell you is that in districts like the 42nd, for example, where some of these amendments came from, most of the districts in that legislative district are already in compliance with this. So to think that the world is going to change in that particular district after passage of this bill is misleading and irresponsible. The only thing that is added beyond districts that are already in compliance would be the concept of affirmative consent. And we've actually heard from House and Senate Republicans that they think that's an important addition to this mandate. So um, that's something that they think is, is important for everybody to have access to. So that's not even the controversial part. Now, the uh, other changes in the bill will include, again, rhetoric around parents not having the opportunity to opt their students out. The actual language of the bill is stronger than existing law. It not only says parents have the opportunity and right to opt their students out, but that the district must honor that. In addition to that, there's some rhetoric around how these standards and the teachings will be so embedded throughout all of the content that parents won't know when to engage and when to support their students through an opt-out process if they wanted to. There's actually a line in the bill on page five that says, it is not the intent of the legislature to integrate this curriculum to the extent that it cannot be opted out. In addition, the House Republicans uh, had some feedback that I thought strengthened the bill. One of those was around notification. They offered language that we accepted that strengthens the notification policies. So the districts have to notify parents not only when they are engaging in a process of either adopting or creating curriculum, but also to ensure that parents get a year-by-year -year notification of what's going to be taught in each of those grades. So if your district decides to do it annually, they'll get 
an annual update of what their fourth grader or their fifth grader or their eighth grader is going to be learning about. If they choose to do it every two or three years, those are the years that parents will be notified about the content that will be covered. And given a chance to opt out. And given a chance to opt out, to review the curriculum, and to participate in whatever local process the district has before them. Who are the people that you've been hearing from during this process that say, we would really like you to do this, Representative Stonier? First and foremost, I would say it is students who have come to me to share with me what they have experienced in their lives as a result of not having either access to or enough of the instruction that this would provide. These are students who have been victims of sexual assault in their teenage years, of childhood sexual abuse. These are people who have been made to feel as if they don't fit in their community. That's first and foremost. I will tell you that since we've been debating this policy in the House and the Senate, I have had a number of adults reach out to me and explain that they believe they would not have been a victim of childhood sexual assault if they had some teaching about what is okay and what is not okay and about what on their body and within their body is scientifically accurately described to them what is okay and what isn't again is oftentimes linked to um, inaccurate vocabulary. These are things that children, um, an example is we heard an example from a member on the floor in the debate of a little girl who was sexually abused as a child and she reported that somebody had been touching her cookie Well, unless you are using the accurate terminology for body parts, it sure is hard to know that for years this child is experiencing what she's experiencing. In my office, I received on the night of the debate a phone call from a 61-year-old woman who called to say, thank you so much for working on this. I would not have been abused, I believe, as a child for the entirety of my childhood if I had known that what was happening to me was not okay. If somebody had told me that just because somebody is someone you know, and by the way, this is most likely who's going to be abusing a child, that they would have a way to stand up, to identify that something was wrong and a way to stand up for themselves, a way to identify, even if they didn't have the courage to say no, at least to know that it was not their fault and that it was not healthy or okay. These are the stories that are coming out now. And You know, one thing I would add is when I stop for a moment to think of how many boys and men are underreported in this same type of scenario, I just think we're really going to make a big difference for a lot of kids with this policy. I think that most of the reporting has come from women and from girls, and I think it's a different dynamic for men to admit that they have been experiencing this. And for those that do come forward and share it, they will report that there is a stigma of being a man coming forward and reporting. So all I can think about right now is how many of our boys and soon-to-be men and men of age have experienced stuff like this and have never had a platform to discuss it or to internalize it as something that is not their fault. So I think there's a lot that we can say that has been coming from people who have been supportive, but I think there's also a lot of a silent um, presence of people who are supportive. Most schools already have some form of sexual health education adopted and implemented in them. Reports show that most of the public are supportive of sexual health education. The rhetoric around what is taught in the early grades, again, fabricated by the other side, even when there's opportunities to clarify and they understand that it is not true, there's not a whole lot of effort, in my view, to roll that back. 
And so that's what I find really frustrating. And unfortunately, I find it unbecoming of some of our community leaders to be so knowingly misleading our parents to be fearful of something that's just not there. What I think is going to happen is parents are going to go in concerned and talk to their teachers and talk to their principals, and they're going to find out when they knock on that door or pick up that phone to make the call that the number one fear they had is actually not anywhere anywhere in the plan, not anywhere in the bill, not anywhere in the plan for schools to implement. And I just think that's going to, that's really unfortunate. When we talked a month ago, we dealt with this for maybe a minute and a half, and, and at one point I said, so... People's fears are unfounded that basically this whole thing is about teaching kids to have sex. The answer was obviously no, that's not what it's about. But that seems to be the only thing that the opponents are fixated on is demonizing sex acts as opposed to all the other things that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that there is so much to be gained for students under this policy And the conversation, the focus, and the fabrications have been around such explicit sexual content. It's hard for me to understand how Democrats are the ones that are trying to overly sexualize the content here. We did not introduce amendments of such content that the Republicans did and then claim that this policy needed an advisory. We did not make claims on the floor of the House and Senate that educators were going to teach children how to engage in sexual acts as the Republicans did. That's my frustration as well, is the the rhetoric around this, as concerning as it is, has come from the opposition. My Facebook page has been loaded with insults about what we're trying to do to children. And they're the only ones saying that. We're not saying that. It's not in the content of the bill. It's not in any lesson that I've ever taught. What I want to know is, will teachers have the freedom to answer the questions that kids have about their bodies, how it works, and how to have safe relationships down the road? And I hope that they do. When I have been asked very sensitive questions around sexuality and how you might or might not get pregnant, I made the good judgment of talking with that student and saying, these are tough questions. I'm happy to answer them for you. I feel like it's something I should check with your parents first before I have that conversation with you, just in case they want to be the ones to talk to you about it. That's how I handled it. That's the judgment of an educator. And guess what? I called that parent and they said, oh, yes, I'd be much happier if you'd be the one to have that conversation with my teenager. I will fill in the gaps when they get home. But at this point in time, if, if they're asking you, then you should, you should definitely answer with all the resources that I know you have in order to do so. So that's how I handle that situation. It terrifies me to think about what that student might have done without accurate information, how that student might not have chosen a better path of behavior as a result of that conversation. And you know what? That's what's happening across the state right now in the absence of this education. One of the critiques from the other side has been that this is new material that teachers aren't qualified to teach or they're not comfortable teaching it. Are you comfortable that this is not putting a load on public school teachers that they're not either capable or willing to carry? Well, I believe the 
case is always valid that the state legislature is putting way more on educators than they are either funded or trained to do. That is true in education. It's true in content areas where teachers are given a new grade level to teach. This is what I've experienced in my 18 years as an educator. That is always the case. This is life-saving policy, life-saving education for kids. And I believe that educators who want to see healthy students become healthy adults would say this is an area where they're willing to dig in and find the resources they need in order to deliver this for students. I think, believe that is true of our principals. I believe that is true of our school board members. This is the type of policy where we, we've we also asked OSPI to step up their online mo- training modules for educators. We know that there are health teachers and health conferences across the state that will probably be a little bit higher in an enrollment in order to get up to speed on this kind of thing. But that has happened every single time we have decided to focus on reading scores or focus on math intervention or focus on anything that we know will help our students be more successful. This is no different. Regardless of the rhetoric and the divisiveness, this bill did pass. It's on its way to the governor now for the governor's signature to become law. It fully kicks in by the year 2022-23 school year. Do you think in the meantime there will be enough effort by schools and by people who are supportive of this bill to have calmed the waters somewhat? I think as questions get asked with sincerity, with a sincere interest in knowing the right answer, it will resolve itself because the good information that people are seeking is available. People should talk to their educators. For school districts that have not done this before and are nervous about it, they should talk to their neighbor neighboring districts that have implemented it. For example, in the district that I teach in, there's a full binder of the FLASH curriculum that is available per, by adoption. However, the schools have gone through a process involving the community to identify which of the lessons in that full curriculum puts them in compliance with the law and with the expectations of a comprehensive sexual health education portfolio. The lessons that we've heard sensationalized and posted all over members' Facebook pages are not lessons that I've seen taught before. So just as you might have a math curriculum that has several lessons on fractions. Teachers will oftentimes use the few that are most helpful in that point in time, and then they will create the interventions and the supports that students need with their good judgment and professional training. Once people ask questions like that and get answers like that, they will understand that the rhetoric around this has been heightened by people who had a greater interest in pointing fingers and blaming the Democrats for wanting to do bad things to children and will find themselves back in good partnerships again with their schools. You're a mom. You've got a couple of kids in public schools. You've been a public school educator for nearly two decades. I think you're probably pretty comfortable with your kids being taught with this curriculum. I wish that all the people who are demonizing you personally and Democrats as a group and the legislature as an institution could spend a few minutes with you and get to know you a little bit, and it might make some minds change. You know, I would say I've had conversations with people who oppose this bill very strongly, both in my office, in the rotunda, in my district. 
to talk with them about what their real fears are. And ultimately it comes down to some areas where we may not agree, but they seem to really understand that with the opt-out in place and with communication in place, then it shifts to other things like, well, I don't want other kids in the community to be subject to this. If I can handle this kind of conversation in my family, I'm now concerned about other conversations in other families. And I just find that a little bit ironic. For example, in Battleground, the community members that came in and caused a great deal of concern around the vote that the school board was about to take, most of them, according to the records, were not parents of kids in school. They either had their students pulled out as homeschool students, they were maybe from outside the district. It's a little bit ironic that parents who are working so hard to say government shall not have an imposition on what my kids learn are yet so willing to determine what other people's children should have access to learning. So I'm struggling with that in terms of reconciliation on a personal level, but you know, what I what I would say is most people that I meet with understand that I, by the end of our conversation, that I don't have ill intent to harm children. Most students that I've known through all the years who have invited me to their weddings and to hold their babies don't feel that I have presented myself as an educator who would be interested in harming children, but more so to give them the tools they need to be safe, healthy, and happy adults. And that's why I'm still in touch with so many of them. Monica, I think this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Representative Monica Stonier of the 49th Legislative District, thanks for coming to Capital Ideas again on such short notice. Thank you, Dan. As Paul Harvey used to say, Now you know the rest of the story. In case anyone wants to read SB 5395 to see what's in it for themselves, I'll include a link in the show notes. There's nothing like the actual facts to clear up confusion. Now, if you feel like the last 20 minutes were worth your time, here's some good news. You can subscribe to Capital Ideas on pretty much every podcast app that's out there. This is your state government, and the more you know about how it works, the better you can make it work for you, your family, your business, and your community. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.